What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this crossover Thursday edition of Locked on Dolphins. Your host, Kyle Krabs, I'm going to be joined by Tony Wiggins of Locked on Jaguars to break down the London showdown between your Miami Dolphins and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Two Florida teams hungry for a dub. We're going to dig into it here on a crossover Thursday. Your team every day. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, let's dig into it. So we're going to jump in right away with Tony Wiggins. We got two episodes here on this Thursday, October 14th of Locked On Dolphins. This crossover Thursday, and I'm also dropping the Joe Rose show on Thursday this week as well. So make sure you plan accordingly. Carve yourself some nice time out of your afternoon, your morning. We thank you for making Locked On Dolphins your first listen here uh, of the day for your Miami Dolphins content. But... You're going to have a whole lot of Locked On Dolphins content today to dig into. Two great guests, two separate episodes. Hey, we're coming in strong. We still got power to the pod. We got to do the defensive roster assessment. We're bringing the heat. The Dolphins aren't giving us a lot to be excited about on the field right now. Tua Tagovailoa's looking like he's coming back. We got a lot of content here on the show, so make sure you keep it locked in. And let's dive right into this crossover with Tony. Hey, what's happening, man? This is your man, Tony Wiggins with Locked On Jaguars. We have a crossover with the Miami Dolphins, my man Kyle Krabs, uh, down in South Florida, getting it in. Uh, the teams are, however, going to be going and flying across the pond and going to London uh, for the game this weekend. Both teams are reeling, and we're going to give you this crossover to let you know what's going on. Kyle, what's going on, man? Hey, man, it's it's not necessarily the season we planned on having down here in South Florida, but uh, we're making the best of it. We're, we already got the evaluation cap on. We're putting guys under the microscope, turning the heat up because we want to win, man. And I know you guys want to win, too. And it's it's that I think that's what makes this game pretty compelling. Right. Is it's you got two teams desperate to just have the ball bounce their way and and, and get something right. And. Uh, some pretty prominent storylines on both sides of the fence here with Tua Tungvaloa. Looks like he's going to be back in time for this game. And and Jacksonville, obviously, with the number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. So a fun uh, kind of showcase of top prospects at the quarterback position over the last couple of years. So some fun storylines. Maybe not necessarily the most high-stakes game that you're going to find on the slate this week. But and there, there's going to be some desperation o- over there in London when we kick this thing off at 930 on Sunday morning. Yeah, and of course, a little bit of bragging rights. Of course, we're all lagging behind Tampa when it comes to the state's bragging rights. So, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I know it, right? Uh, <laughs> but one thing about Locked On Dolphins and Locked On Jaguars, we love to thank you guys for making us your first listen of the day. Uh, we are free on all platforms, and we're glad to be here every day. So, let's get right to it. The challenge that I have this week, before we get into a little bit of Q and A going both ways, mm-hmm. I think I think the natural challenge in this is this. They're traveling. They're going to London. Right. You know, it, it, it's just, you know, it's a little bit maybe longer than a flight to L.A. or Seattle. But the thing is, is that time difference. And if anybody who's ever been in Vegas, I always say don't do Vegas the first day, because if you do, you're going to miss the second day because you're going to be asleep. It's sort of the reverse when you do it. Where uh, was this advice the first time I went out to Vegas? I know it, right? You know, what? I missed the second day. <laughs> yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody told me either. And I woke up on the third day. So, you know, but I'm not, I woke up on the third day, but I'm not him. You know what I'm saying? But my, <laughs> my thing is, is I was in Europe, man. And uh, I lived there in the early nineties. And I used to call my friends that played college football and basketball. 
it'd be like six o'clock in the morning for me and it'd be midnight for them. So I know it's going to be different with their bodies. The thing is, is the Jaguars have experience. I don't know how much the Dolphins have. Uh, what type of maturity does the do-, do the Dolphins have to be able to handle that situation? Well, it's it's a very young roster. They've only got two guys over the age of 30 on the entire roster, and that's John Jenkins, the nose tackle, and Jason McCourty, the defensive back who split some time between corner and free safety here. Uh, Jesse Davis is also 30, so they make it three. But um, the last time Miami's made it, Pretty significant number of trips across the pond. I believe this will be the the fifth time they've played. They're one and three in their previous four, but nobody on this roster has done this trip. So it's kind of a new experience for them with how much roster turnover they've had over the last two years with with the Brian Flores and Chris Greer regime. And um, I think the concerning thing from a maturity standpoint, which is a great point that you make, is Miami's not even doing the little things right. Brian Flores for three years has preached, "Don't beat yourselves." Know, play smart, know your assignment, play discipline. And they're one of the most penalized teams in football right now. And it's like, okay, like if you can't even retain that, how in the heck are you going to get your bodies ready for an early kick? So it's definitely a storyline that uh, I'm keeping a, a close eye on. Cause it is the, it is the ultimate wild card in a matchup like this, where, you know, the, these are two teams that don't score a lot of points and give up a lot of points. So whoever can grapple that, monumental change in the body clock. And Brian Flores said on Wednesday when he talked to to the media that it had been a storyline this week for him and his players. We'll see if they can retain this message better than some of the other messages that he's been trying to get across to his team thus far. Yeah, and 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 you're right. Things haven't gone. You mentioned this early. Things haven't gone for your team the way that we thought. Uh, I thought the Jaguars would actually be a little bit better too. And uh, even though it's a new young team, but the one thing I, that we have in common is I tied in coach quarterback. Every good team in the league seems like, or the team that wins championships over the last what decade or two decades, you always have that combination of coach and quarterback. So coming into this season. I knew we were getting Urban Meyer, and I was like, okay, good. We got a CEO. And I knew we were getting Trevor Lawrence, and I'm like, okay, there it is. That was our optimism. And then looking down at you guys, being right on the cusp of being one of those teams to to actually break through last year with uh, Coach Flores and Tua, you think they got it made too. Not the case. Both right. of those groups are struggling right now, coach and quarterback. Yeah, I mean, for Tua, it's – it's it's still really hard. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of rumors regarding Deshaun Watson going all the way back to January with the Dolphins uh, and Deshaun Watson, and they've been the team that has most consistently been tied to him. And there's a lot of Dolphins fans that kind of mentally ready to to check check out on to and write him off. Then there's another subsection of the fan base that's extremely loyal and they're they're being objective and say, look, guys, started ten games. Uh, it's not a very good situation and environment that he's been in with the offensive line play, and they have a point. Uh, but but you know, it, this year's sample size for him is a game and like seven plays because he broke his ribs on the seventh play on fourth and two at midfield against Buffalo in week two. We haven't seen him since. And one thing we do know is Jacoby Brissett's a backup quarterback for a reason, and he showed it for the last three games and three quarters when he was serving as the Dolphins quarterback on the field, just not executing reads, uh, kind of predetermining where he wants to go with the ball. So it is still so much of an unknown. Like I came into the year and I was so optimistic about Brian Flores himself and what he did in his first two years. But now it's like, okay, you're a defensive coach. You preach discipline. 
you brought back a bunch of guys and you've hand selected a bunch of young guys to come in and compliment what you had last year. And you're like 31st in scoring defense and you're top 10 in penal- most penalized teams in football. So now I'm like, I'm kind of questioning everything. And, and we'll see if two is kind of the catalyst and spark that that's necessary there. But I look at Jacksonville and I thought the, the selection of Urban Meyer was an interesting one, but you think about Trevor Lawrence and, prominent RPOs were during his time in Clemson and you know getting a college coach that has had a high-flying offense at its disposal and you know I was expecting you know so, some pretty bright flashes from him now I'll give you this Trevor looked excellent against Cincinnati for a majority of the game when they played uh the other week looked pretty good so um as you said this coach quarterback dynamic and, and pairing is it seems like both of these sides are still trying to figure out exactly what they want to be uh, at this point in time but if you need to figure out what you need for your vehicle rockauto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high quality service online for the last 20 years so whether you're shopping for engine control modules brake parts taillights motor oil or even new carpet for your classic or daily driver rockauto.com has everything you need in one easy to navigate catalog and in just a few clicks you can get everything delivered directly to your front door best of all price of the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts so visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs and make sure you write locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto dot com and your first listen is locked on jaguars and locked on dolphins this is a crossover edition on a thursday big game is across the pond in london this weekend between those two teams all right crabs you got me you got me for seven minutes you can ask me whatever you want to ask me you mentioned urban meyer i know you're itching to get the inside scoop so come on now you know what the thing that i knew i wanted to stay away from when I knew we were doing the crossover was I don't want to hear about urban and not taking the flight home and all that BS. Like I want to know about this team, right? I'm right. a draft guy at my heart and my core and building the roster. So obviously Jacksonville, they won week one last season in 2020 and they haven't won since. So what has been from your perspective, the biggest block to them trying to string together a couple of wins and, and breaking through and having success. Like what does Miami need to be mindful of is, Hey, this is kind of the Achilles heel that kind of pops up on a weekly basis for Jacksonville that bites them and pretend uh, prevents them from winning some of these football games. Uh, just keep playing. And, and sooner or later, they're going to step on their own tail. They're going to do those things. Like for instance, I'll give a boxing analogy. You watch a, a, a fight and then the first three rounds, one guy's landing all of these headshots, and it looks good. It looks like he's going to knock the other guy out, right? Then the other guy just kind of keeps hitting him in the stomach. He's taking the punches. And usually about the sixth or seventh round, all of a sudden, the dude that was swinging those headshots, he ain't landing them anymore. And that guy's stalking him because those body punches have worked. Those body punches are running the football, man, and he just won't do it. And James Robinson is averaging like 10,000 yards of carry, but Urban won't just feed him the ball and make him a featured back. So he's learned to do that the last couple of weeks, and it's paid off. I don't think Urban Meyer understands the ebb and the flow 
and how to win those rounds. And what I mean by that is, this is the NFL. This is not college. You're not just running Percy Harvin and, and Jeff Demps up and down the field and doing mm-hmm. jump ball, jump passes with Tebow, and your defense is better than everybody else. That, that That's not how it works. In the NFL, it's the ebb and flow. You got to know how to win games. It's getting off the field on third down. It's maintaining drives. It's you know, you realize the Jaguars are four games in and they don't have one field goal? Wow. They don't have – that's yeah. almost a part of the game, man. They don't have a field goal this year. It's like – because every time they usually get in the red zone, they're behind, so it's like we got to go for it. It's stuff like that. It's the non-NFL stuff that really makes you – I don't think he's in over his head, and I've told people this, because being a college football coach at Florida and Ohio State, you look at look at Brandon Staley and some of these guys that never were head coaches. That's a big on a resume. That's bigger sometimes in some sense than being an NFL coach. The problem is he needs to forget this ain't college. He keeps referencing what it was like in Ohio State and what it was like at Florida. And play told Vic Fangio that guy everybody's Alabama every week. No, Urban, everybody's better than Alabama every week. He just won't let go of that and allow these NFL guys to do NFL guy kind of stuff and, and get them in and out of situations where they can pull these games off. And that's the problem. So as you look at the identity and the DNA of the roster, as it exists right now, and obviously James Robinson was massively successful last year as a UDFA rookie was up over a thousand yards and, and, and rushing and uh, had some success in the passing game as well. And uh, you said that, that he urban's kind of, Embrace that more, that presence or that, that dynamic of the offense. How have they built off of that renewed interest in running the football with Trevor Lawrence? Obviously, whether it's zone read and you saw him against Cincinnati on a couple of instances pulling the ball on the edge. Now, what are some of the wrinkles and layers that they're, they're introducing or they're implementing beyond getting the ball running downhill established and kind of getting physical with teams up front? Their script coming out is really good. The last few weeks against Arizona, against Cincinnati, and then this past game against Tennessee, their script, and this is an NFL thing, those first 20 plays are are awesome. Now, they had a turnover the other day that kind of threw a monkey wrench in it, but they got right back on it and ended up scoring a touchdown. So their script coming out is once the game gets going, then it kind of falls apart. I'll give you a perfect example. They got first and goal on the five-yard line. James Robinson did not touch the ball once. And on fourth and the inches, they gave it to Carlos Hyde. And he got knocked back to the seven-yard line. So that's the kind of stuff that, that we're noticing. It's like, and when you ask Urban after the game, why didn't James Robinson get the ball on that carry? Or on that carry, it wouldn't have mattered because the, the, the dudes, Jeffrey Simmons was in the backfield was as soon as the running back touched the ball. But the point is, is, even if it's a bad play call, at least let your best player run the ball, right? Right. Why didn't he touch the ball? Well, Urban says maybe he was dinged up. I don't know. I got to figure that out with Bevel. And I'm thinking like, do you have a headset on? Do you have timeouts? I mean, what are you talking about? Everybody in the, in the we're all in the press box says, where's 25 at? Right. So it's like things happen and there's sort of this plausible deniability with him. And he goes, well, we got to work on it. And you're a draft guy. This is what I want. I really want to tell you and Marino this. Have you ever seen a team, 1-15, and and the 45th pick overall, Walker Little, is a healthy scratch for like two or three weeks? Not injured. He's picked number 45, and he's a healthy scratch. 
If you ask anybody around here, they'll say they need a corner. Well, they traded C.J. Henderson, they signed Shaq Griffin, and they drafted Tyson Campbell with the first pick of the second round, and Asante Samuel Jr. was right there. These are the things that are hurting them. It's, it's like you look at the players they could have had. Andre Sisko, third-round pick, who they said had a first-round grade if he hadn't gotten hurt. He can't be out, beat out this, this kid named Wingard who made 12 business decisions not to tackle Derrick Henry the other day. Yeah, I saw those clips, and that was pretty brutal. You can't redshirt guys. This, see, he's redshirting Walker Little. So this is the team-building aspect. Cam Robinson's on a, on a one-year franchise tender. You would think, okay, they drafted Walker Little. He's going to start next year. How's he going to start? He hadn't played this year. You still don't know if he can protect Trevor. That's the kind of stuff from a team building uh, aspect that I know you guys that do this for a living like you, you're looking at that going like, what? You're 1-15 and the 45th overall pick is not playing. It's a joke. So that, that kind of gets into uh, one of my other questions that I had with you know, Urban and building this program, and it was – do you get the sense that they're trying to build the program and set the foundation this year, or is it more of, we think we can be competitive and we're just not finishing games? Like what is the sense of obviously in Miami in 2019 is, Hey, we're probably not going to be very good this year. Um, but I, I seem to recall, I think it was after the, the second or third week, like Jack, the Jacksonville came out with a statement that was like, we're going to continue to work real hard and stick with us and stay patient. So like, what's the vibe around like the overall approach to the team with this regime? There are some people that think anyone, anybody uh, coaching for the Jaguars can't because of the optimism. There are some fans that are like, give it time, give it time, give it time. But there are guys like me that sort of look at it from a team building way. And, I, and I'm saying you, if you were GM, you would want this situation. You got the number one pick with Trevor. You had extra picks in the first, second and third round because of the Jalen Ramsey trades and all of that stuff. You had the most salary cap in the league, right? So you had a franchise quarterback. The year you have the number one pick, you have a generational talent at quarterback. To me, that's the perfect scenario. Some people say, well, the cupboard was left so bare. That's exactly what you want when you take over. You don't want these bad contracts. You want to build it from the ground up, right? So the the, the majority of the players they signed, they signed to two or three-year deals. If that's being the case, what are you doing here in the first year besides trying to win? Because if you start to win next year, they're going to be free agents and they're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what's the point? Cam Robinson, like I said, is under a franchise tag. What's the, what's the point? What are you doing? So they started out thinking that they were actually going to win and be competitive. And, and now um, they have no choice but to say, you know, we're just going to continue to build things. The bottom line is, I'm going to tell you what people think. People think he is clueless. And they don't think that the juice they're getting is worth the squeeze. Tony, I'm going to give the reins over to you here and and let you flip the script uh, for these two uh, rebuilding, struggling Florida football teams. Uh, yeah, let you you put me under the under the heat. So yeah, uh, th- this has been great, and, and I love the insight that you've given here on Jacksonville. Absolutely, and I'm going to let you give it on Miami because I know there are tons of people that want to make a wager or two on these games. Now you got to remember this game starts very early, like nine o'clock Eastern time. So you have to make sure that you get on betonline.ag early in order to get your 
Miami Dolphins, Jaguars bets in. Now they're back and they're better than ever and all eyes on the gridiron on Saturday and Sunday as teams jockey for a position. Here's what you have to do. You got to head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code, whether you're Dolphins or a Jaguar fan, and that is locked on to receive that 50% welcome bonus. Now, it's football, basketball's coming, so start studying that. They had a great boxing match last weekend. Uh, they have Vegas casino games, all of that stuff, so don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season and beyond. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Don't be late. The game starts this weekend at 9 o'clock Eastern. Make sure you go to betonline.ag. All right, rolling along here, man. We got Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins. We thank you guys for making us your first day, your first listen of the day here as we do a crossover headed, heading into the weekend with the Dolphins and Jags. I'm going to turn around and I'm playing interrogator. The hell's going on with that quarterback down there, man? Is he? This is the worst thing to happen. You got a dude in his second year, and you yep. still don't know if he's your guy. You, you, you had you had a chance to draft somebody else this year. You still don't know if he's your guy, and that's a bad situation to be in uh, if you're the Dolphins and talking about Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, so it, it kind of felt like you got the best of both worlds last year as much as you could when they made the choice after week six to put him into the starting lineup on the bye, and they end up winning 10 football games, and that didn't come without some decisions from Brian Flores to ultimately put Ryan Fitzpatrick back late in the game in two games, and Tua hurt his throwing hand in practice on Wednesday before they played the Jets, so Fitz took the start there, and they won that game. So, you know, that was presumably the thought process to put him in last year, because mine was 3-3. Three and three. They'd scored a lot of points and, and won big. They won by, like, three touchdowns in each of their previous two games before they made the quarterback switch was okay, like they're, they're 500, but they need to know what they have in Tua. And you got through the season. You didn't mesh with Chan Gailey. He came out and said in the offseason that he didn't know the playbook particularly well, so he didn't have any control at the line of scrimmage, so they couldn't change plays, and he knew plays weren't going to work, but I had to run them anyway because I didn't know. Like, So it was, it was tough. It was kind of a tough offseason, and um, the Dolphins fans, even last year, were sitting here saying, man, why are they saving all the good plays for Fitz? And then right. he comes out in the offseason. It's like, well, he didn't know the playbook that well. And they're, listen, they're, he's a rookie, and he was focused on rehab. With the offseason last year with COVID, like, you can kind of get it, right? right. But, the, but then what they did this offseason was they were looking for a new offensive coordinator because things didn't mesh particularly well with Shane Gailey. And they ended up promoting two positional coaches to serve as co-coordinators. And then they hired Charlie Fry from whatever directional Michigan school he was serving as the OC at to come in and be the quarterback's coach. Cause he had this relationship with Tua from previous during, during elite mm-hmm. 11 and their system was you've got George Godsey, who's presumably the pass game coordinator during the game week. And Eric Studisville, who's the running backs coach, who's the run game coordinator. But the guy who was in the headset on game day was Charlie Fry. So it's like these, it it was too many cooks in the kitchen for the offensive system, right? And then they they win week one, 17, 16 against New England. They got lucky. They forced a fumble down inside the red zone uh, to save that one point win. Tua looked pretty good in that game. Other than a late game decision, it looked like somebody ran the wrong route. They had, 
Mm-hmm. The, the running back didn't get out on the, onto his route and two guys down the field were in the same spot standing next to each other, holding hands, like busted play. He tried to make something happen. It was a bad decision. He said he was trying to throw it away. I don't think I buy it. I think he was trying to put one up in, in play and let Mike Kosecki go get it. Uh, but then the following week, Buffalo pretty much gave him double birds and said, we're going to cap your slant route. We're going to blitz the hell out of you. We're going to, you know, you're going to run all these RPOs like you, you did against new England and your offensive linemen are going to block run. We'll go ahead and block run because we're, we're aiming for the platform of the quarterback. We're not aiming for or trying to read the play. And we're going to bet if we cap the slant route by the time Tua works his eyes off of it, and goes anywhere else, he's getting blown up. Right. And, and they sacked him twice, three times, and, and hit him two more times in seven plays before A.J. Epinesa came crashing in on fourth and two, broke his ribs. So it's a, it was, they leaned way too hard into just, we're going to be a college RPO-type offense. It's what Tua does best. We're going to let him read an individual defender at the snap and make that player wrong. But Buffalo's game plan was, we're going to make this a really urgent process for you, and we don't think you're going to adjust. And, and the rest of that game plan, once Jacoby Brissett came in, they were around 28 nothing running RPOs in the, the late third quarter because that mm. was the game plan that they had installed. Right. Well, then Jacoby comes in the last three weeks. They're not running RPOs. They're running traditional stuff. They're asking their offensive line to take traditional sets. So it's like for Tua... You got to let him run the offense you ran the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. Now that he's back, don't be a seventy percent RPO offense with your offensive lineman block and run, because he's not going to get time. The Bills put the platform out there on how to blow that thing up. You got to sprinkle him in. You got to pick your spots with it, but you also got to be able and willing to establish the run game, and you got to let him read the field. And that's the big question for me. It's like there's a part of me that just feels like Brian Flores. And this offensive staff, they they didn't ask him or want him to read the field, but he did it in the preseason and he looked pretty good. So, like you said, we don't know right now. And the sample size is so small. And what they did was so skewed early in the season. I think that's the most fascinating layer to this this week's game. Um, Real quick, before I ask you what the Dolphins actually do well, so the Jaguars have to watch out for it. How much Justin Herbert regret is there? The fan base is very, very um, remorseful and regretful. And then there's the, the ones who remain loyal to Tua that say, listen, you could take Herbert and put him here and put Tua in the Chargers and the environment. You know, I don't buy that bit of it. You know, the, the physical tools are the big difference between the two. And, and Justin Herbert, he's got that Mahomes, Josh Allen dynamic where you can get him off his spot, but he can still hit every level of the field, regardless of what his platform is, regardless if he's moving away from the line of scrimmage because his arm is that explosive. Tua's got to win between the years. That's where he's going to have to. If he's going to be a successful NFL quarterback, it's going to have to be with pre-snap recognition, understanding where I'm supposed to start with my eyes, and make sure I make that good decision after the, the, the ball is snapped. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there's there's there were it seemed like some splits within the organization as well with that decision. It was reported that uh, Dan Marino was a big Justin Herbert proponent, uh, mm. and he he serves as uh, an advisor uh, within the the front office. 
Uh, it's been rumored that, you know, Tua was more of an ownership pick and, and was something that he was pretty adamant about. And, oh, the last time he wanted a quarterback, it was Lamar Jackson. And they instead said, no, we got Adam Gase as our head coach. Ryan Tannehill's our quarterback. We're going to draft Minka Fitzpatrick, which adds even more sting because he's not even on the roster anymore, despite and a very good player that you trade, right? All pro player. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's hard to say. I do not believe it was a universal decision to draft Tua. Uh, I do believe there were folks within the organization just kind of being in the draft space and, and listening to that. And a lot of fans would allude it to, oh, it's smokescreen season. And then, but, but I do think there were some, power players within the Dolphins organization that wanted Justin Herbert and others that wanted to. And we obviously know uh, what selection was made. Real quick, if the Jaguars are going to win, where can they win? What is, what is your weakness? Run the ball. They, they got, you got a lot of guys who, oh, going back to the Raiders game, Brian Flores in the post game, it's, it's Peyton Barber's breaking off big runs in overtime. He says guys aren't in their gaps. They're, they're trying to make a play but they're not executing their one eleventh of the defense. And, you know, Miami got Raekwon Davis back at the nose, and I think that'll help them between the tackles to have uh, more sturdiness in the run game. Um, but Elan and Roberts is like third in the NFL in missed tackles, and he's supposed to be your thumper uh, between the tackles as a run fit defender. Jerome Baker had a very bad game against uh, Tampa Bay. You know, they, they isolated him on some option routes. And then from there, he was chasing the entire game. He was out of his rhythm, and, and he didn't look particularly good unless he was mugged up in a B-gap and blitzing. So stay in heavy sets. Try to run at him. Take the body blows that you were talking about and make them tackle you efficiently because that's been a big sore spot for Miami. So uh, that's probably the best blueprint that I, I can give you because I, I do think – with the corner options that Miami has and the depth they have in the secondary, if you try and spread and space the field out, I do think they've got the athletes to match what Jacksonville has. Yeah, and Jacksonville, have, they have a problem separating. So there you go. We're going to set this up. Urban needs to stick to the run. Miami has an Achilles heel with the run. Let's see who is stubborn or who actually follows that blueprint. we got to remind you that even though we're your first listen on Locked On Dolphins and Locked On Jaguars, your second listen should be the Peacock and Williamson podcast with NFL analyst Brian Peacock and uh, former NFL scout Matt Williamson. They break it down like no other, man. They really get into it, and you need to check that out, and it's free on all platforms. So make sure you uh, check out the Peacock and Williamson podcast. Peacock and Williamson podcast and subscribe. Crabs, man, it's been fun, man. And uh, likewise, I guess uh, we'll see the the run game and the ability to stop the run. See if that's the catalyst for this weekend. So uh, for uh, Kyle Crabs and Tony Wiggins with Locked On Dolphins and Locked On Jags, take care of each other as I always say, and we'll see you next time.